This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 62. And uh, before we jump into our passage, I want to ask, ask the question, where do you turn in times of trouble? What do you do in the face of adversity? So when all around your soul gives way, as the hymn says, where do you look for hope? Now whether you choose to recognize it or not, the hard reality of life, the harsh reality of life, is that we are all in the, either in the midst of trouble or will be shortly. Adversity is a fact of life. So that comes through death. The, the ravages of death are at work all, all around us all the time. Sin. Sin is at work all around us all the time. Destruction takes place all the time. Adversity is a fact of life. So what do you trust in? Where do you put your confidence? Now I've got just if you're taking notes and you care about these things, I have one point this morning. So this is a one-point a one sermon. Because we've got a one-point passage here. And it's this. Are you ready? Trust only God. Trust only God. Some trust in what they have, their money and possessions, but trust only God. Some trust in who they know, the people around them. Trust only God. Some trust in what they can do, their abilities and their accomplishments. Trust only God. Some trust in how they feel, their health and their emotional stability. Trust only God. This is a message that is always relevant to us and always important for us to hear. The world and the pleasures it offers, they're always at work trying to draw us away from God. Our flesh and its, and its carnal cravings, they're always on the lookout for something other than God. Satan and his demons are always calling out, calling out to us for us to believe someone other than God. And because the world, the flesh, and our, the devil, our flesh and the devil, they never take a day off, we must be ever reminded of this call. Trust only God. Now, Charles Spurgeon called this the only psalm because the first five of the first eight verses, they start with the word only. We are not going to see that really in our English, but that's, it's the Hebrew word that's used there. It's the only psalm, and it communicates this, this urgency to this call, to trust only God. If you hear the word of the Lord, follow along with me as I read from the ESV, Psalm 62, beginning in verse 1. This is the inerrant, infallible, sufficient word of God for us. For God alone, my soul, waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. 
Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces the, the hearts and the minds of us. And Lord, would your, would your spirit be at work this morning as we look to your word together? And may you impress deeply this truth on our hearts that we are to only trust you and look to you for hope. And Lord, I, I make that my confession as I preach this morning. Lord, I trust only you as I preach your word. Give me grace to do that. May it, may it serve those who are gathered here. Uh, may we hear from you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank God for his word. And what a joy it is to be able to open it up together. Now David was a man well acquainted with adversity. This is Psalm 62 is a psalm of David. He was well acquainted with adversity. Whether it be in protecting his sheep or in fleeing from Saul, or fighting his enemies, or dealing with betrayal in his own family and among those who are closest to him. David's life was marked by difficulty and hardship. His life was no walk in the park. And in spite of all his successes, all that could go wrong seemed to go wrong. I've been reading through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel this past week, week and a half, and it's just remarkable. I mean, for all the good things that are going on in David's life, you turn the page and something just unimaginably horrible is going on. Some of it brought on by himself. But here's words in verse 1. For God alone, my soul wait in silence. Only God does my soul wait in silence. In the face of adversity, in the midst of opposition, David begins with waiting silently on God. He doesn't begin with his list of problems his hope for deliverance, his longing for justice, but he begins with God, waiting for God in silence. Now, how do you like waiting? A report came out a few years ago that estimated that the average American will spend about six months of their lives waiting, like waiting in line. This includes around 40 to 60 hours waiting a year waiting in traffic, about 13 hours a year waiting on hold with customer service. We wait a lot. But even with all the practice that we get in waiting, that I get in waiting, I'm still not very good at it. And I'm especially not so good at waiting silently. You know, I like to talk about the things that I'm waiting for. I like to complain about the fact that I'm waiting. And I want other people to know how much I hate waiting. But here David waits silently for God. And his silence points us to something. His silence points us to his faith. He's silent because he has faith in God. It shows his confidence in God's promises. His submission to God's will. And his resolve not to grumble against God. His waiting, unlike our waiting, which often is a reason for discouragement and despair, his waiting is because he has confidence in the one who he is waiting for. So while he's waiting, he takes advantage of the time that he has and he meditates, not first on his problems, but he begins with God. Look at what he says in verse 2. This verse again starts with only. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress 
I shall not be greatly shaken. First, he meditates on God as his rock. Now, David was one who knew how a rock could offer protection in the midst of adversity. And he compares God to this refuge. So you think about 1 Samuel 21, and David is fleeing Gath, and he hides in the cave of Adullam. And this cave offers him protection. It's a refuge to him. It keeps him safe. All throughout David's life, you, you come across places where he's hiding behind a rock or hiding in a cave. Just like a rock that would never fail in exposing David as he hid, so God will never fail in protecting him when in danger. So he meditates on God as his rock. Then he meditates on God as his salvation. Not only is God a God who offers protection, but more than this, he offers salvation. He doesn't just protect, he saves. He is the one who delivers in the midst of adversity. David's God is both defender and deliverer. He is his salvation. And then he meditates on God as his fortress. Those in a fortress, they, they look on their enemies without fear. They have protection. They have the upper hand. From their place of security, they can face adversity. Now these three words, rock, salvation, fortress, they present a picture of a God who is David's confidence in every circumstance and situation. And so he concludes with this wonderfully honest statement, I shall not be greatly shaken. Now he doesn't say that he shall not be shaken. He's going to say that later. He says that he shall not be greatly shaken. It's pretty interesting. He shall not be greatly shaken. Here David acknowledges that he knows trouble lies ahead. He knows adversity and hardship will come. He knows that he will be moved. But more importantly, most importantly, he knows that he will not be removed. It's like we just sang earlier. David is like this ship anchored at sea. Now certainly storms are going to come. And though this boat is going to be rocked to and fro by the wind and the waves, his anchor will never be removed. David knows that all the evil and the suffering in this world, all of it, is not strong enough to remove this anchor. He shall not be greatly shaken. As it says in Psalm 112, it says, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. Brothers and sisters, may we... May we have steady hearts as we face difficult circumstances. After looking to God alone for his trust, David turns next to the opposition that he faces. Look at verses 3 and 4. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. And here David looks toward his, his enemies and asks them, How long? How long will you keep coming after me? Now it doesn't matter at what point in life David finds himself. We don't know when David wrote this psalm. But it could be any point because his enemies kept attacking him, kept coming after him. When he felt weak, his enemies would, they would press in and come after him. He knows that evil is drawn to weakness to those who are leaning and tottering. Now, at other times, David has been strong, and in these moments, too, evil presses in around him. The wicked envy those who are in a high position, and so they use 
flattery and duplicity and lies to destroy the strong. Now David knew both weakness and strength. The overt threats and the false blessings. Everywhere he has been, evil has found him. But David's question, how long, isn't a complaint of despair. Instead, it comes from, again, the confidence that he has in God. Because he's just said, I shall not be greatly shaken. And so he asks, how long are you going to keep coming after me? It's useless. You will never get what you want. I cannot be greatly shaken. So how long are you going to do it? And we see something of the patience that God calls us to in the midst of adversity. Opposition may come constantly, but we are only to wait silently on the Lord. Because He is our rock, our salvation, our fortress. We are to patiently endure suffering, trusting only God in the midst of adversity. Now for David, in the face of all the threats to his well-being and to his soul, he finds strength and hope in this, this one thought, that God alone is his salvation. And every attempt to bring him down will fail. I shall not be greatly shaken. So it's really no surprise when we see David come back to his main theme in verse 5. It's this interlude in the midst of his troubles, a calm in the middle of the storm. In verse 5, David writes, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Only God does my soul wait in silence. David comes back to this theme both because it's his confidence, his hope, but also because he knows that his heart is prone to wander. He knows that his mind is tempted to forget. He knows that he needs to be to continually reestablish himself in this truth. Now, just because he has said this one time, he said it in verse 1, unlike us, we think, hey, you know, I've said it, like I'm covered, I'm good, I don't need to say that again. No, he, he needs to say it again because he, he knows that he needs to be ever reminded of the one who saves. So he gives himself again to meditate on God. And we see some repetition from earlier. Look how he does this in verses 6 and 7. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. We see that again, rock, salvation, fortress. I shall not be shaken. We see his confidence grow. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. As he meditates upon God, his, his faith flourishes. David meditates on the sufficiency of God as his deliverer. God is his rock, his salvation, his fortress, his glory, his refuge. And notice how David owns each of these characteristics of God. It's not enough for David that God just is these things, that he is all these things. But God is all of these things for him. Look how he does that. David says that God is his, my hope, my rock, my salvation, my fortress, my glory, my refuge. Like how Charles Spurgeon says it, he says, David, he brands his own initials upon every name which he rejoicingly gives to his God. Brothers and sisters, may we, in, in our prayers and our meditations, may we brand our own initials on every name that we rejoicingly give to our God. Because do you know that God is all of these things? And more importantly, do you know that he is all these things for you? This is not dependent on your circumstances. 
He's not just your refuge when you feel it. He is always your refuge. Whether you have pain or you don't, whether you're suffering or you're experiencing peace, whether you have adversity, face adversity or are experiencing success, God is always all of these things for you, dear Christian, today and every day. My rock, my salvation, my fortress, my glory, my refuge. One hymn says it this way, Let not your heart be troubled. His tender word I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Him goes on, whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when song gives place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care, he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. So I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Brothers and sisters, take, take comfort in that truth, that he is these things to you in every situation. Now, out of David's confidence, his faith, his only trust in God, comes this call to all others to make God their trust. The sufficiency of God to deliver isn't only for him, but it's for all God's people. Thanks be to God. Look at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Our call to trust in him is true for every season. Trust in him at all times. We are to walk by faith every day, when we can see clearly and when we are walking in the dark. In good times and in bad, trust in God. Our confidence must always be in God. Trust only God. And how do we exhibit this trust? How do we put it on display? Well, on the one hand, we are to be silent. David talks about this in verse 1 and 5. Silently wait on God. That puts on display our faith. That's one side of the coin of our prayer. But on the other side, David mentions here that it's no less an expression of our faith, of confident faith, to pour out your heart before him. Silently wait on God and pour out your heart before him. We are to come to God and, and pour out our hearts to him. We are to come and to cast all our cares, all our burdens on him because he cares for us. He is a refuge to us. He will give us rest. Now it can be so easy to not want to do this. We want to keep our troubles to ourselves. We do this for many reasons. Some don't want to be a burden to other people. Some don't want to show how vulnerable they are. Some don't want help. Some just like being bitter about their burdens and their problems. In our flesh, it longs for these hurts to fester inside of us until they make us bitter toward God. But God calls us not to keep these things inside and grow in bitterness, but to pour out our hearts before him, to cast our cares upon him, because he is our refuge. He is our shelter amidst the storm, our help in times of trouble, our safety in danger, our comfort in suffering. Now, perhaps you're listening to this, and I mean, you're hearing it, but it's just kind of going through one ear and out the other, because you've heard this before. You've sung on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
You've poured out your heart to God, yet you're still in the storm. You still face trouble. You're still plagued by pain. You still have so many unanswered prayers. All of your pouring out again and again, it's, it's resulted in no change. I got an email this past Friday from Steph, Steph Wetchie, and she had no idea what I was planning on preaching, I don't think. And she pointed me to this devotional from Charles Spurgeon, where he reflects on Elijah's expectant faith that the Lord would bring rain in the midst of a devastating drought. This is from 1 Kings 18. And Elijah sends his servant out looking for rain to come, and his servant doesn't see it. So his servant comes back to him. And each time he comes back to Elijah, Elijah tells him, go again. This happens seven times. The servant goes out, looks, doesn't see any rain. I mean, it was probably like a day like this without any of the clouds. Doesn't see anything. Drought continues. Everything's dry. Comes back to Elijah. Go again. Now, I mean, can you imagine the eye rolls that Elijah was getting at that point? Go again. I mean, I've done it three times already. Go again. Really, Elijah? Really? Go again? Yeah, go again. Seven times. Go again. But then, after once again, going again, and I'm sure the servant had no faith that he was going to see anything because he'd seen the same thing seven times, he sees this little rain cloud on the horizon. Reflecting on that, Spurgeon writes this. He says, Success is certain when the Lord has promised it. Although you may have pleaded month after month without evidence of answer, it is not possible that the Lord should be deaf when his people are earnest in a matter which concerns his glory. We must not dream of unbelief, but hold to our faith even to 70 times 7. Faith sends expectant hope to look from Carmel's brow, and if nothing is beheld, she sends again and again. So far from being crushed by repeated disappointment, faith is animated to plead more fervently with her God. She is humbled but not abashed. Her groans are deeper and her sighings more vehement, but she never relaxes her hold or stays her hand. It would be more agreeable to flesh and blood to have a speedy answer, but believing souls have learned to be submissive and to find it good to wait for as well as upon the Lord. May we find it good to wait for as well as upon the Lord and go to him again and again, pouring out our hearts before him. And when we're done, pour it out again, knowing that God is a refuge for you, knowing that Jesus is the one who bids us to come, to come and find rest. Come, those who are weary and those who are heavy laden, those who are burdened, come, and he promises rest. Know that he listens to you, and he has the power to deliver you. He is your refuge. But there are times, there are many times when we're tempted not to fully believe this. We've heard it, but we don't believe it. We trust God, but because we don't believe it, we put our trust in other things too. Now, we see this a lot today, and a lot of the unrest, especially in our nation today. We can be tempted to put our faith in God and the scientists developing a vaccine for COVID, or the data that tells us this is all no big deal. Or we trust in God and the First Amendment, which gives us security and freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Or we put our trust in God and a form of government, clinging to our democracy in the hopes that it will protect our interests. There are lots of things that seek to lay hold on our trust. 
yes, we trust God, but we also feel like we need something to make sure we know the right people or we have enough stuff. But David's call to us, David's call to us remains the same. Trust only God. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. David is pointing us to the folly of placing our trust in people and money. He does this by, by first painting this picture in verse 9 of the frailty and insignificance of humanity. The lowly, the poor, the downcast, they're only a breath. The high, the rich, the powerful, they're a delusion. David's point is not so much that we have no need to fear man, but that it is foolish to hope in man. I like the, the picture that he paints at the end of verse 9 there, that in the balances they go up, they're together lighter than breath. It's the, these scales. And so light is humanity that when nothing is on these scales, it's still going up. But a breath, a vapor, a delusion. People may captivate and compel us, but they're only human. They're vanity. They are never to be depended on for our salvation, never to be our hope. So after pointing us to the, the folly of hoping in man, he, he talks about money. He points us to the foolishness of looking for security in money. And he begins by, by warning us against evil means of attaining money. So extortion and robbery, taking what isn't ours. But whether we come by money through evil means or hard, faithful work, David, in one sense, equates the two. After warning against extortion and robbery, he just warns against the, the love of riches, putting our trust in riches. If riches increased, set not your heart on them. David knows, and we must know something. All the money in the whole world, all the stuff that you could ever have, everything that you could buy on Amazon, it cannot bear the weight of our trust. It will collapse under the weight of our eternal hopes. It's not enough to bring us salvation. It's not enough to bring deliverance. So brothers and sisters, trust only God. Now David then concludes by once again looking to his God, the only God who is worthy of our trust. Look at verses 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. David begins with this, this it's a, like a literary device in Hebrew poetry. He says, once God has spoken, it's a special way of saying that there's no changing what God has said. God is immutable. Once he has said something, it stands for all time. And much to the chagrin of my children, that's not the case for what I say. But for what God says... It never fails. Once God has spoken. God speaks and it is done. Then he says, twice have I heard this. It, it emphasizes that the, the surety of what God says, it's not going to change. But it also points us to the fact that, that we have to keep hearing what God says. We have to keep it always in front of us, always on our minds lest we forget. Twice have I heard this. And what has God spoken? 
two beautiful words that David points us to. First, he points us to power. Power belongs to God. Power does not belong to our foes. Power does not belong to our fears. It does not belong to humanity. It does not belong to our money. It belongs to God. All power. Right here we have every reason for faith. Our rock and our refuge is found in the God who possesses all power. Spurgeon writes this, It can never be unwise to rest upon the Almighty arm. Out of all troubles he can release us. Under all burdens sustain us. While men must fail us at the last and may deceive us even now, may our souls hear the thunder of Jehovah's voice as he claims all power. And henceforth may we wait only upon God. Our God possesses all power. To him belongs power. Not only does God possess all power, David goes on to tell us that to him belongs steadfast love. To you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. One children's Bible describes this love as God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. This love never stops. This love never gives up. This love cannot be broken. This love is eternal. It's always and forever. God is a God of power. To him belongs all power. And of steadfast love. To him belongs steadfast love. Think on the comfort that this is, Christian. Not only is God's power sufficient to stop his enemies, his love is powerful to protect his children. In God's power, he can accomplish anything he purposes. In his love, he works all things together for the good of those who love him. Our God isn't just a God of love, who is kind to all, benevolent, but can be overcome by opposition or thwarted by our sin. Nor is our God just a God of power who can do all things, but that we must fear because we don't know his aims. He is a God to whom belongs both power and love. He is mighty and merciful, just and generous. He has all power to save and all grace to restore. Why should we fear when this is our God? Why should we be anxious in the midst of unsettling circumstances? Take comfort, find rest in this God, the God of power and of love. And David finally concludes with an implication of this powerful and loving God in verse 12. Very last sentence. For you will render to a man according to his work. Now this seems like an odd place to end the psalm. It might come across as a reflection on, on final judgment. One day we're all going to stand before God. And while this is true, this isn't what the psalmist is pointing to. Instead, he is gratefully reflecting on God's promise to, to reward faith and faithfulness. It's an encouragement in the face of adversity, in the midst of a bondage you feel like you may never break free from, of hardship that will never end. This is an encouragement to persevere in faith, in obedience, in trust. Because God sees the obedience of his children, and it will not go unrewarded. Blessing awaits those who trust only God. You will render to a man according to his work. But there's also another implication we can draw from David's conclusion. For it points to the fact that God will give us all that we need for whatever we face. God gives us all we need for whatever we face. He is not a harsh taskmaster. But he gives us the grace that we need for each day. 
He gives us new mercies every morning. So in whatever hardship we face, in whatever adversity comes our way, in whatever work God has given us to do, he will render to us all that we need. We may be shaken, but we shall not fall. For to him belongs all power, and to him belongs steadfast love. So brothers and sisters, hear David's call. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him, for God is a refuge for us. Pray with me. Father, thank you that in you we find power and love. Thank you that you are our rock, our redeemer, our salvation, our refuge. And Lord, may you give us grace to wait silently for you in every circumstance we find ourselves in. May you give us grace to pour out our hearts before you, knowing that you, you invite us and you welcome us and you hear us and you call us to, to unburden ourselves so that you might give us rest. Lord, may we be a people who are, who are marked by humble and joyful dependence on you. May we suffer with a smile on our face as we look to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.